Hey everyone, I'm Lucas Prado, Sanctus Pickering Pastor, and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I hope you're really excited to the message today. Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're with us. Happy New Year. So glad that you're hanging out with us as we're now in 2023. And I'd like to welcome you back to the book of Romans, the second half. Now, we're going to be in Romans 6 today. So if you've got a Bible, virtual or physical, would love you to turn there as we dive back into this incredible book. And I just want to remind all of us, why did the Holy Spirit ask us to start going through the book of Romans this year in this rebuilding year? Because he wanted to rebuild in us the Christian worldview, the Christian understanding, to begin to go back to old paths, to rediscover the things of God. Now, Romans 6 is incredible. This is where Paul begins to outline this amazing theme that all Christians, ready, Vernon, are freed from the power of sin. But in this moment of great freedom, the whole idea is going to get flipped on its head. The place of greatest freedom is where we begin to get the greatest revelation about the true state of the world, our family, and ourselves. And here is the life-giving, amazing, and incredibly offensive truth. Here's what Paul grounds all of our lostness in and also grounds all of our freedom in. He grounds it in one image we're very uncomfortable with. Slavery. Paul is about to say, God is about to say through his word, we are all slaves. Okay, what is a slave? A slave is a person who doesn't have a say, who's not in control. You cannot do what you want, when you want, where you want, how you want. You don't own your life, and you don't own your family's life. Now, of course, slavery in our modern day and also in ancient times is connected not just to the loss of rights, but abuse and sexual assault and generational trauma and death. And all of that is going to be true, spiritually even, of one form of slavery. But Paul is going to say there's actually two forms of slavery. Here's the crazy thing, and please keep listening to me. Don't just disconnect when I say this. You're a slave, and every person sitting beside you is also a slave. All human beings are slaves to something. Work, job, possession, sexual adventure, busyness, achievement, education, fill in the blank. Now, yes, many, many, many people listening to me right now will say, no, no, that's not true. I am in control. I'm not a slave to those things. But actually, it's not true. Because it's the thing that feeds the above list where actually the darkest form of slavery gets revealed. The slavery that every single human being has been under or currently is under is more real and more deadly than you might think. I just want to read these scriptures. I'm just going to let God's word speak plainly. Because the Bible says that every single human being, religious, unreligious, spiritual, not spiritual, agnostic, atheist, fill in the blank, is enslaved to sin, cannot not sin, is going to die, enslaved to death, and even enslaved to the demonic. Let, let me just read Romans 5, 6. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Since we've now been justified, he's talking to Christians, justified by Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? 
For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Okay, so powerless, ungodly, God's wrath, God's enemies. Whoa. 1 John 5.19. We know that we're children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Whoa. Ephesians 2.1. Paul's writing about what we used to be pre-Jesus. As for you, you were, once were, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So the Bible is explicitly clear. Bad news before good news. The Bible says every single human being is under the just wrath of God. We're dead spiritually. We're blind, powerless. We're enslaved to evil. We cannot not sin. We're destined for eternity without God, which is called hell. Our life is marked by trespass, going to places we're not allowed to go, according to God. And we all have a debt we cannot pay off. And the outworking of this slavery, sin and death and the demonic, comes in all sorts of forms. Right now, for example, in the West, we're taught that self-expression and self-understanding and getting my rights is freedom. But that's actually just slavery to our sinful selves. We're taught all the time. We hear this all the time. We see this on social media all the time. Uh, Truth is in your story, in your experience. It's your truth. Follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Actually, if you go inside yourself, there is not light in there. There's not light in us. If you discover yourself, you will discover sin. Jeremiah 7, 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above everything. And it's beyond cure. <clears throat> Who can understand it? Mark Sayers from Australia brilliantly just said in the last few weeks, what we're experiencing is not the eradication of God from the Western mind, but rather the enthroning of self as the greatest authority. It's basically slavery. Years ago, one person wrote this, the most pathetic and increasingly common form of slavery are those that are enslaved to the God of self. Psychologists call it narcissism or narcissists. Now, this comes from Roman mythology. You might know this. Uh, uh, this, this being fell in love with his own reflection in a stream. When he tried to kiss the object of his love, his lips disturbed the water. The image ran away. He was heartbroken. He dared not drink from the stream, fearing he'd lose his love forever. Eventually, the slave of self-love died of thirst. This is the true state of the world. And Paul says, look, every human being is enslaved to sin. You have to sin. You're going to die, it's guaranteed. And actually, supernaturally, the demonic are in control of the world. Slavery. Now, if you get to Romans 6, halfway through, he starts dealing with this from a different angle. So let's dive in like this. What then, Paul says, shall we sin because we're not under law but under the grace, but under grace? Paul begins by dealing with the possibility of us as Christians going off the deep end with the good news that Jesus has set us free from the above slavery. How does he start the chapter, Romans 6.1? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? See, when Paul starts talking about grace and undeserved mercy and a fresh start with God and being declared forgiven and Jesus washing us clean of all this stuff and breaking the power of the slavery of sin, Satan, and death, his critics start saying, Paul, you're saying be holy out of one side of your mouth and the other side of your mouth, you're going to start saying, well, we can get to sin and we can sin a little bit more because it's all covered now. What's a little sin going to make? Like, what difference is a little sin going to make? Grace is a cover. 
I know it's wrong, but God's going to forgive me. I'm under grace now. And Paul would say, are you serious? Remember, if you've done this series with us, Paul had a crystal clear understanding about sin. It's not to be touched or embraced or loved or played with or lived with or kissed. Our lives are not marked with the mentality as Christians, how close can I get without being burned? Scripture is clear. Sin is devastating and debilitating and degenerating. It's corrupting. It's like pollution to the soul. It's like what corrosive acid is to metal. It's like what smog is in the sky. It chokes out life. And by the way, as we're getting going in 2023, we always need to remember what we mean. What is sin? Sin is a violation of divine law. Like I shared in the Ten Commandments series and other series, the laws of God reflect God himself. God didn't just wake up one day and say, I don't like murder, lying, stealing. Because the Ten Commandments aren't separated from God. They come from his nature, their divine DNA. When you see the Ten Commandments, you see God's character. He says no to murder because he's a life-giving God. He hates stealing because he's a generous gift-giving God. He rejects adultery because he's a covenant-keeping God. He says no to idols <coughs> and other religions because he is truth. So when we as human beings sin, trespass, go to places we're not allowed to go to, when we sin, we not only break his law, we attack him personally. Sin hurts us. Yep. Sin hurts other people all the time. But in the end, all sin has a Godward force. And all of us keep doing this. Sin, as we found out from Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, is overpowering. It dominates our thinking, our affections, our will. And sin works with Satan in the world to enslave us. We're owned. We're not free from sin, death, or Satan. We're slaves to them pre-Jesus. Sin's incurable. There is nothing that can break the power of sin. Economics can't. Therapy can't. Politics can't. More reading can't. More education can't. Sin promises life, promises satisfaction, it brings misery and frustration and hopelessness and death. Sin alienates and separates, and in the long term, if it's not dealt with by Jesus, it leads to eternal separation. So with all that background, Paul says in verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. No, no, a thousand times no. Yes, grace justifies, makes me right with God. And yes, I'm adopted, and I'm positionally holy, and I'm redeemed. But actually, it's called to transform. I love when one person said this, freedom for a Christian is not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. Freedom for a Christian is not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. And then this is where he does it. Okay, this is where everyone's going to get real uncomfortable. Paul starts using slavery language in the reverse, which would get every Roman's attention hearing this for the first time. Now, the church he's writing to is located in Rome 2,000 years ago. Rome, at its heart, was at the center of the slave experience 2,000 years ago. At this point, one-third to one-half of Rome's population were slaves. Many politicians at one point in Rome's history were asking slaves or proposing that slaves actually wore uniforms so people could tell the difference between a slave and, and a non-slave, but then they got concerned because then they found out how many people were slaves and thought that would actually lead to revolt. But we need to understand what slavery is in Rome, Rome 2,000 years ago. One wrote it like this, the ancient Romans were known for their slavery, and it took not one, two forms. The more familiar kind of slavery involved the capturing of an enemy, 
destroying anything that might uh, tempt them to return home, including killing family and burning crops. It's brutal. Then transporting that person to Rome and selling them on the auction block. Very similar to what, of course, we've all learned about, and some of you actually, your history is connected to the slave trade in the New World from Africa, or also in the reverse, of course, to the Islamic world. Very similar. But then there was an older, more common type of slavery in Rome called voluntary, voluntary slavery. Impoverished people would offer themselves as slaves in order to find food to eat and a place to live. In other words, people would willingly accept slavery in order to make, meet their basic needs. Now, in this, with that background, with that understanding, Paul uses slavery language shockingly in Romans 6.16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves, notice that, voluntary slavery, to someone as an obedient slave, you're a slave to the one you obey. So he's talking about the second form of slavery, a willing choice to obey. Now, it's an ongoing presenting uh, of oneself to something. So there's two hallmarks of slavery, ownership by another, and obedience. Now, Paul's saying, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of you hearing, uh, reading this for the first time are actual slaves, and many of you <coughs> actually own slaves. But then he turns the conversation around, and he says, actually, everyone is a slave. Every single one on earth is a slave, bound to total obedience to one or the other. Matthew Henry, who was this really famous Puritan commentator, said so long ago, if you would want to know which of the two families you belong to, just inquire to which of the two masters you keep obeying. So let me read <coughs> the verse again in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Say, so <laughs> this might be really uncomfortable for you, and maybe you don't want to do it out loud, but maybe you should. You need to say it out loud, I am a slave. You're like, I'm not going to say that, but it's true. Every person within the sound of my voice, what, no matter what site you're at or watching online, you should just say out loud right now, I'm a slave. Now, if you're a Christian, our slavery is to Jesus. And it's not just a legal thing, it's an ongoing thing. It's a willing thing. Jesus is our savior. Yes, he is. Jesus is our friend. Yes, he is. He's our big brother. Yes, he is. He's our high priest. Yes, he is. He's our intercessor. Yes, he is. But he's also our master. Yes, he is. And Jesus is good. He's not cruel, he's not abusive, and he's not darkness. But he's still our owner. See, Paul is about to say, and is saying, there's no possibility of neutrality. There's no, like, no man's land. There's no fence. There's no co-ownership. You're either a slave to sin, a slave to the demonic, a slave to death, or you're a slave to Jesus. Friendship, alienation, life, death. In other words, you're not in control. Paul, again, offends our modern notions, right, of freedom and rights, because he's saying the whole human family are slaves either to sin, which results in death, or to Jesus. Now, here's the offensive, profound thing Paul's saying. The majority of human beings actually think they're not slaves. They think they're free. They think they're in control. They think they're the master of their universe. They think they're in charge of their destiny, but they're not. John Calvin, the famous reformer, put it like this, the greater mass of vices anyone is buried under, the more fiercely and bombastically does he extol his freedom. In other words, all these people are crying out, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, and they're covered in chains. 
The modern idea of freedom, autonomous self-direction, does not exist. No wonder the Bible calls us blind and dead to the things of God and even dead to God himself. As we learn from Romans 1 through 6, if you're under sin, it leads to death. And like we talked about earlier, let me just do this again. Death happens to human beings in three ways. First of all, there's relational death between us and God. When Adam and Eve walked away from God in the Garden of Eden, we just didn't get divorced from God or estranged from God or we didn't lose touch. Our relationship didn't just get broken. It died. The second thing is we're all slaves to death because we all die. It's 100% fatal. And here's the wild thing. I don't know if you've thought about this. When you die, you, of course, become separated from others, but you even become separated from yourself. See, we as Christians understand that the spiritual and the physical make up reality. One, when you die, your soul's ripped out of your body. And until the resurrection takes place, even that's a weird separation. And then, of course, the last form of separation is eternal death. And so we have this idea that actually slavery is that impactful. But then Paul is saying, but there's those that are owned by Jesus. Now, this is the grand paradox, of course, the world does not get. Real freedom from death and real freedom from sin and real freedom from Satan or the demonic is actually not in self-actualization, but it's in slavery to God through Christ. Freedom from sin means changing allegiances, having a new master who's kinder, a gentler, a good, a perfect Savior. That's why he says in verse 17, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance, your willing slavery. Now Paul, this is really important, does not praise them going, Oh, you're so wise, or you're so intelligent or you're so moral, or so spiritual, and thanks for being all committed to the church. Notice what he says, thanks be to who? God. Salvation's a God thing. It's from him, about him, it's in him, it's through him alone. Jesus said it best in John 6, No one can come to me, this is Jesus talking, unless the Father who sent me draws them, and then I'm going to raise them up on the last day. Paul says to any Christian, a day old, a month old, years in the faith, or decades, you used to be a slave to sin. Not anymore. <clears throat> that ongoing state was broken when God moved in and gave you the ability to see Jesus, comprehend Jesus, when God gave you faith. And then we started obeying from our hearts. Now, can you put that verse back up again? Verse 17. The pattern of teaching that has claimed your allegiance? Okay. Paul is saying, we were not only delivered over to Jesus, but we were also delivered over, given over, living under a pattern of teaching. Ready, everyone? God's word. It now has authority over us. And the word pattern is, in the ancient times, is where we get like um, the idea of a mold from where they'd like have molten metal and they pour it into a cast and they'd make something. In other words, we're being molded like Jesus through his word. I love when one person said, believers don't choose whether they're going to serve Christ as Lord or obey his teaching. God has already given us over to Jesus and the scriptures. In other words, Christians live like this, not like this. And then Paul says one of the most important verses in chapter 6 for all of us today, one of the most read verses, said verses, and the most unbelieved verses by Christians. Verse 18. You, Christian, have been set free from sin 
because you've become a slave to righteousness. Sin no longer is your master. Okay, in Adam and Eve, I don't know if you thought about this, Adam and Eve had choice. Post-Eden, they lost choice when it came to salvation and the ability to sin or not sin. Without Jesus, you have no ability not to sin. You are in total slavery. You will, in the end, always break the Ten Commandments. But when you meet Jesus, sin no longer is your master, and choice is given to you again. Christians are free from sin. We are free to say no to sin. Now, I need you to listen to this carefully, because some of you are going, John, give me a break. I'm not free from sin. I struggle all the time. If you saw my life between Christmas and New Year's, you'd be like, ah, either I'm a terrible Christian or I'm not a Christian at all. No, here's the point. Before Jesus, you had to sin. But now Jesus is your master. You do not have to sin. Jesus lives in you. His spirit lives in you. If you call on the power to live a righteous life in the moment, the spirit of God will show up and will give you the ability not to sin. The truth is, Many of us as Christians don't stop in the moment to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't claim our identity, or we just want to sin. But Paul says, look, I'm using an example, verse 19, from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity with ever-increasing wickedness, so now as a Christian, offer yourself as, notice the word, slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. This is an all-consuming, all-powerful call to willing slavery. Total obligation, total commitment, total accountability. You could call this profound slavery. Just as sin leads to further sin, which leads to death, so a life of righteousness leads to more holy living. So as a Christian right now, if you're a Christian, right now you're holy. When God is looking at you right now, on this Sunday morning or whenever you're listening to this on a podcast, God the Father sees you through Jesus. You're holy, positionally, but you're still called, and I'm still called, to work out holiness down here in my everyday life, in my relationships. So think about it like this. Holiness is a positional state of being, and it's a process at the same time. So here's the point. Spiritual slavery is like a pair of twin sisters or brothers. One brings death, one brings life. One is what was and should have been. One is what was lost and should have never been. One's lasting, one's going to fade. And Paul comes to the end of his thoughts. And in verse 21, 20 and 21, he outlines what we were pre-Jesus. He says, listen, when you were a slave to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. Any one of us who has the courage to talk about our past or our present sinful struggles will admit they're not just bad or inappropriate. The right word is they are shameful. Now, this is not saying that we as Christians should live under the power of shame, but we should admit those acts are shameful. And actually, if you want to test how much you really believe what the scriptures teach, when you think about things that you do that are sinful, in the present or in the past, and you don't actually think they're that bad or they're not shameful, it actually begins to reveal that you don't actually believe what God says and thinks about those actions. You actually might need the Holy Spirit to bring for a period of time, not shame upon yourself, but an understanding of how shameful those things are in his presence.
He says in verse 22, but now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Oh, did you see that? Now you have been set free from sin and become a slave of God. If you're a Christian, this is not optional. You are a slave of God. The benefit you read leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. You're free from sin. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You're no longer helpless. You can say no to sin because the ownership has been removed and God's spirit lives within you. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. And actually, Satan doesn't own you. And death doesn't even own you because the resurrection is guaranteed. I love when one person said, sin is usually a result of someone trying to fill a legitimate, God-given need in an illegitimate way. Sin is usually a result of someone trying to fill the legitimate need, a God-given need, in an illegitimate way. Paul comes to the heart of the issue. He outlines all of chapter 6 in this very famous verse, Romans 3, 23. For the wages, the cost, the payment, the debt of sin is death. Oh, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Gift. That's why Paul wrote earlier in Ephesians 2, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's never from yourself. It's always a gift of God. It's not, it's not by works and no one gets to boast. Okay, so Paul outlines in chapter 6 in really radical ways. He makes big statements. You don't have to sin. You're free from the power of sin. If you actually are not in Jesus, you're still a slave to sin, death, and the demonic. Like, and if you are a Christian, you are a slave. Okay, how does this work out? Well, number one, for you, again, who are seeking or skeptical or wondering or from another faith or sort of Christian but not really, the question God is asking you this Sunday or whenever you're listening to this is, what do you want to be enslaved uh, to in the now and the not yet? In other words, who do you want to be owned by? What do you want to rule your life? And some of you, I just felt it said, no, I'm ruling my life. You're not. What master? Sin or Jesus? You or God? One results in death, one results in life. One you pay for now, one actually gives eternal life. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Someone listening to this literally needs to say out loud, I am a slave to sin. I'm a slave to death. I'm fearful of death. I'm even a slave to darkness. And actually, I cannot set myself free. And so I'm asking you in this moment, Jesus, to break the power of those things in my life. And I want you to be my friend and my savior and my new master because you're going to lead me better. That's how you cross the line. But you have to admit, you have to actually humble yourself and say, actually, I'm not even in charge. Either I'm, in, either I'm owned by one thing or another. I want this better thing, this better person, his work, his love, his power, his prayer, his death, his resurrection. I, I want that to start leading me. Now that leads us to we who are Christians. I'm just going to say this boldly. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, are a slave to Jesus. You know, it's funny, we just finished the Christmas season and I was really struck by this. You know, when Gabriel showed up to Mary, that young teenage girl, and said, hey, listen, you found favor with God and the Holy Spirit is going to place Jesus in you. And, you know, what's the very first thing Mary said? I am your willing slave, Lord. Whoa. If Mary, as a young teenager who is blessed above all women in all of history, 
understood at her core that freedom was in slavery to God. And you're still fighting it. You've missed the mark. Christian, I want you to hear this today. I want you to accept this today. I want to embrace this today. You're a slave to Jesus. You're not your own. You don't own your kids. You don't own your future. You don't own your RSPs. You don't own your home. You don't own your eternal life. You don't own your spiritual gifts. He owns it all. You've been bought with a high price. And obedience is the key to liberation. True freedom comes from kind slavery. Irenaeus, the church father, said, the glory of God is a man fully alive. C.K. Chesterton said, obedience is but the other side of God's creative will. What does that all mean? Slavery. And by the way, who would not not want to be owned by and led by and, and told by and marked by and moved by Jesus? Jesus is a better master than I would ever be for myself and you'll ever be. Jesus is definitely a better master than the world or sin or the demonic or politics or fill in the blank. And you know, I know a lot of you are really hurt and traumatized and you've been through a lot, but even we who've experienced extreme trauma, if we really take time to think about it, we'd want to be led by Jesus. You know, Jesus is love. And I love that in the Bible, love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus is patient with you. Jesus is patient with me. Jesus extends forgiveness time and time again to you personally every single morning. His mercies are new every day. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not give what I deserve or what you deserve. Jesus took what we already deserved already and put it on his body. Jesus doesn't envy what we have because he knows better and oh, by the way, he is better. Jesus doesn't need to boast. He doesn't need to be proud because he knows who he is and he's demonstrated meekness is where real power is. Jesus isn't rude, by the way. He has nothing to prove. He's not motivated by competition or fear or anyone else. He's free unlike all of us. And Jesus isn't self-seeking. And Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, some of you don't believe this. No, no, see, he really doesn't. Everything that I've done that's sinful in my life, in grace, he decides not to hold against me. Oh, God will never truly be able to totally forget That's a metaphor in the Old Testament. He'll never be able to forget everything I've done because he knows all things. Have you thought about this? God knows everything. God eternally will remember all the wicked things we've done and yet he will choose not to use it against us because why? It was placed on the body of Jesus. Jesus is not easily angered. It's true. He doesn't flip out every time we miss the mark. Jesus hates evil. He loves good. He protects. He's full of hope. He's trustworthy. He never gives up. That's who's being offered to lead our lives and for us to be led by. Like, you know, some of the most powerful verses ever penned in the Bible. Actually, they're not just powerful in the Bible. There's just like nothing like it in religion. There's nothing like it in philosophy. Not like this. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. You're going to find rest for your souls. Now, just again, to catch this. A yoke is what was put on oxen, for example, or donkeys, to lead them as they were like plowing a field or pulling a cart. So the yoke is placed on the neck of the animal by the master. See, Jesus promises rest for the deepest part of us, our souls, but you have to take on his yoke to get the rest. 
If you're not yoked to Jesus, then you're still yoked by sin. If you're not yoked to Jesus, you're going to be yoked to death. If you're not yoked to Jesus, you're going to be yoked to religion or lost dreams or faith that's not real or lies or a fake spirituality. See, the lie that we are independent is just that. It is a lie. We always will serve somebody or something. I love when one said, we should remember that the rest Jesus offers is not the relaxation of a demand of rights. It's not the removal of any yoke, but it's a new kind yoke, which makes the burden light. A yoke implies slavery. What makes the difference is the sort of master you end up serving. So the beneficial effect of Jesus' yoke derives from the character of the one who's offering it. And who's offering it? Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's love. In other words, you need to know who Jesus is if you're a Christian. We need to know what he's done for us and what he's doing for us in the now. Because when you do that, when you realize and grow in your realization, then you'll start living out of this one consuming perspective. I am a slave to Jesus. I own nothing. He leads me better. If we do not live with this one view of God's love and our ownership, we will live Christian lives that are not radical, not authentic, they will be powerless. They will be a cheap version of our faith. Slavery to Jesus is the only cure to slavery to sin. Slavery to Jesus is the only power to overcome slavery to death. Slavery to Jesus is the only power to overcome the demonic. Slavery to Jesus is where you find rest. If you try throwing off his yoke in his word, you'll just be yoked to something else. I've shared this before, 2010, 2011 in our church. We did experience this sovereign moment where God just moved so profoundly. And there was one prayer that I invited the church to pray for a year. I've mentioned it before. Here's the simple prayer. God, you can do anything you want, for, uh, you can do anything you want in my life for your glory and my freedom so the world gets to see Jesus clearly. We prayed that for a year. Now, tons and tons of people would not pray the prayer as Christians. Now, the prayer comes from Romans 6. Now, many people would not pray it because they knew that if they prayed it, they were admitting they're actually not in charge. They liked Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. But you can't do that. You can't divide Jesus that way. And not only that, they were afraid that if they prayed it, God would come and shake up their life. In other words, they loved Jesus, but they didn't trust him. Other people wouldn't pray because they're like, you're challenging and daring God. No, no, we're just admitting what Romans 6 says. It's a verbal yes to Romans 6. It's actually praying the, the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To refuse to pray a prayer like this as a Christian is prideful, fearful, or you're actually disconnected from the one that loves you so much and supposedly you love. See, we need to come to the place to see what we are and what we're not. The real place of personal awakening, even the real place of a corporate revival if God ordains it, is actually when a Christian says, I don't own anything. You own everything. What do you have for me? What do you not have for me? What do you want me to do? I am your slave. The question as you start this new year is maybe this. 
Forget New Year's resolutions and all that stuff. The question is, are you willing to admit who owns you? Because if you are, there's freedom there. And out of the freedom comes actually the things of God. So I'm just going to end this sermon very simply by praying that prayer for myself and inviting you to pray it with me. Because this is the place where everything else gets clear. This is the secret sauce, actually, that leads to real freedom. So, thanks, uh, Father and Son, for the Holy Spirit that leads us in all truth. Thanks, Jesus, for living, dying, rising from the dead, praying for us. Thank you, Father, for calling us, creating us. Simple prayer. For us who are not Christians yet, I would pray that you'd open people's eyes to how bad slavery is to sin, death, and the demonic. Show them, for those who think they're self-sufficient, show them how unsufficient they are. For those who feel completely lost, show them there's a way out. Uh, Lead them to Christ. And for us who are in Christ, we just want to pray, God, you can do anything you want in my life or through my life or with my life. For your glory and my freedom so the world sees Jesus clearly. Lord, would you begin to show us, uh, woo us, invite us, bring us to the point where we see how slavery to Christ is where this rest is that we all want. Lord, (laughs) form this radical thing in this church in this moment so there's freedom here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit the subscribe button to be notified when another episode releases. Well, that's it for today. May God bless you very much and have an awesome week.